You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Um, so let me read the text first. If you would go there with me, it's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What I want to do is I want to want to invite us into a, just a, a season of prayer that may be a little bit different than what we. Uh, would normally do here. Normally, I would just pray our way into the text, right, and ask God's blessing over that. Um, but I think it would be important for us just to go to the Lord in a, an extended uh, time of prayer, asking for His Word to come to bear in our lives and for our hearts to be open. So, what I want to ask us to do is to take up a, a different posture than the posture you would normally take um, on a Sunday morning during prayer. Your posture right now is seated, which is an important theme in Ephesians because you might remember there's three themes to Ephesians. Sit, walk, stand. First theme travels through the first three chapters. It's all about how you are seated in your identity in Christ. All about who you are in Jesus, right? So that's the sit portion. That's really important because the next section is the walk section. Walk this way. Since this is who you are, this is now how God calls you to walk. And then finally, stand. This is how you're to stand. So you got identity, which is sit, you got behavior, which is walk, and then you got attitude, which is stand. And your posture this morning right now is seated in a chair, right? So what I want you to do is I want you to get up out of your chair as you're able. There may be some of you in here that are unable to due to physical issues. And I want you to turn around, I want you to kneel down at your chair, and I want you to join me in prayer. I'm just going to kneel here on the stage. This change in posture, I hope, would help us to understand a little bit about what I think God um, calls us to in terms of our attitude and standing. So let's, let's pray. I'll pray for us. You pray with me um, as the Lord leads you. Um, let's pray together. Father, Father, and just pause. Or just, just here for a moment. Let, let our hearts settle. Father, your word uh, reminds us that uh, your spirit is your very breath. It was breathed out at the beginning. 
He brought things into creation that didn't exist previously before. With the power of your breath, the power of your spirit, you, you rose Jesus from the dead and left the tomb empty. So, Father, this morning, this morning, Father, call my hearts, still our souls. I don't know what every other person in this room walked in with. I know how I came in. And I know that we need you. We need the very power of the living God, you, to come and not only speak to us, although that, at your word, dead people come to life and things come into existence that didn't previously exist, that we need your presence. We need you. We don't just need your powerful word. We need your powerful presence. So, Father, I ask that you would come and that you would be powerfully present. Pray, Father, that you would come and that you would sit beside the wounded and that you would bind up broken hearts. I pray, Father, that you would come and that you would sit beside the rebellious and that you would cut their hearts. I pray, Father, that you would come and sit beside those who do not know you and that you would open their hearts and come to know you. I beg you, Father, to come and do what I know I am completely incapable to do this morning. What what none of us is capable of doing. Come and give yourself to us. But I pray that your word would come alive to us. I pray that our hearts would be open to you. I pray that our hearts wouldn't just be open to you, but I pray that our hearts would be desiring and expectant to hear from you. Help us to expect and to desire and to depend upon you your presence, and your word. Help us to live under the shadow of a bloody cross in the doorway of an empty tomb where the presence of the living God would breathe new life into us. God, I pray that you would do that. I pray, Father, that you would use my words and my thoughts and my meditations to bring you glory and honor and to do good in your people. Father, I trust you to answer that prayer. Jesus' name. Amen. Question that you could uh, write down uh, on your notes. Uh, if you have a place where you're taking notes, maybe you're using an app on your phone. Um, by the way, if you need a pen to take notes with. Shameless plug for a bunch of pens that say the Well Church on them. They're nice pens. That's why I say that. Take a few. Give them away to your friends. Take them home. Call it your own. It even has a little stylus on the back that you can use on your uh, digital device. Outside of that, question for us tomorrow. What, what does your prayer life look like? What does your prayer life look like? I think it's a broad question. I like to ask broad questions. You all know me pretty well. I do this every week. Um, sometimes I do an okay job of trying to categorize the question. Other times I don't. Today. Um, because of the uh, time and prep, um, I landed on a couple of notes I made a while back that I thought might help to uh, build the categories, um, how to answer the question. When I answer it biblically, okay, 
So the Bible says uh, a bunch of things about prayer. The text in Ephesians says some really good things. And uh, we've already read that. And I'm going to come back and, and make some application there and draw some points out of what Paul says to the Ephesians in regards to the armor. Um, but what I want to do is I kind of want to jump out into the rest of the context of Scripture for a minute and give us some categories to think about the question, what does your prayer life look like? So <coughs> four passages uh, might make these notes. They're not going to be on the screen in front of you because I walked in here about an hour ago. Um, so you'll have to track with me. Romans 8. I want you to turn there uh, in your actual Bible, either on your phone or in the one that you have in your hand. So if you would turn to Romans chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans comes after Acts, which is just over to the right from Acts and the Gospels if you're there. So Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27. Here, here's something that uh, Paul says about prayer that's really important. Listen to this. Read with me. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So what you see here in Romans 8, 26-27 is... Spirit-directed prayer, right? Spirit-directed, spirit-dependent prayer. Now, I think unless you're sitting in a Pentecostal or Charismatic church this morning, oftentimes in the church today we're afraid because the abuses that we've seen of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and we treat the Holy Spirit like he's kind of the third person of the Trinity but more like the dead person in the Trinity, don't we? Like Paul makes it pretty clear here that we should rely on the spirit of the living God who, who brought things into existence that didn't previously exist and left the tomb empty. So, we should rely on him. We should depend on him. It should be spirit-directed, not man-directed. Agreed? So that's Romans 8, 26-27. So you might use that passage as a category to answer the question, what does your prayer life look like? Is it spirit-directed? Turn now to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, which is over to the right a little bit further if you're new to flipping through the scriptures. If you're not new to that and you have one of those iPhones, then you're part of the elect. If you don't have an iPhone, you're not part of the elect. <laughs> if you don't have an iPhone, oh. Okay, first, first Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. I think... Uh, I think that actually, I think Dave referenced this passage earlier too. Um, yeah, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Again, listen to what God says through the Apostle Paul. Rejoice always. Hmm. That's a tough one, right? Rejoice always. Yeah. Rejoice always. That means in every circumstance. Pray without ceasing. How do you do that? What does that look like? Give thanks in all circumstances. And you would ask the question, why? Why does Paul tell us to do this? Why does God tell us to do this? Well, here's the reason. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Quite simply, if you're in Christ, you've trusted in Christ and his work in the gospel in the empty tomb, then this is something that God's... God des desires of us, this is his will for us, that we would um, be in an attitude of prayer continually. 
Um, and, and that's the category for this kind of prayer that we see here. Prayer should not only be spirit-directed as we see in Romans, but it should also be continual, always happening, at all times. And you might ask, how do you do that? One of the ways that I um, remember this is, this is this is an attitude of prayer. I had a friend in uh, Crete, was my pastor, his name was Pastor Brent um, Bromberger. Now, we used to give him guff about his last name, we call him Brent Cheeseburger all the time. Um, but one of the things I loved about Pastor Brent um, is that when you were around him, you got a sense that he was always in an attitude of prayer. It wasn't that he was just um, kind of like weird in that everything he said was in a sing-song prayer voice. It was just simply that what he would say and when he would say it would be very thoughtful. Um, and you could tell there was something about Pastor Brent. Up into the mid-30s, plumber winds turning to the south. That's two weeks in a row, isn't it? <laughs> Something about Pastor Brent <laughs> that causes the weather to come on each week. I'd like to be more reverent as I approach this sermon today. Um, so the Lord has his ways. Um, or something about Pastor Brent when you were with him, though. You got a sense that... He was continually communing with the Lord. Okay? Continually communing with the Lord. Uh, recently, uh, my wife, Christy, you guys know her well, most of you, um, took a trip to Colorado to uh, um, administer a funeral for her uncle who was homeless and had died. Um, and uh, I just remember that while she was there, uh, there was just at some point there just began to be an ache in my heart for her, where I just missed her. Um, I deal with all sorts of weird emotional things, fears, anxieties, those kinds of things. I was struggling with some bad dreams during that track time, and it was driving up our prayer life quite a bit more. Um, but I just remember talking to her one night and just saying, it feels as though you're never going to come home. Um, and it wasn't that I wanted her to come home right now. I wanted her to do what God had called her to do. I wanted her to be there. Family needed that blessing. Um, but there was that ache and that feeling of, when will I be with my wife again? That same ache and that same feeling is the kind of ache and feeling that I think all of us ought to have when it comes to prayer, communion with the Lord. Like if that ache inside of you to commune with the Lord in prayer is missing, why is it missing? Do you view him as the living God? Do you view him as the God who is alive and well and powerful and desires to be with you? Do you view him as your father in heaven who loves you dearly? Because I think the truth of this passage in, in Thessalonians is kind of this continual picture of an attitude of prayer. Now, look at 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, 2. So I'll just go over just to the right a little bit if you have a physical Bible in front of you. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. It's Paul again. Um, God says through him, here's what he says. says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that they may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly 
and dignified in every way. So what you see in Timothy here is a prayer life that is characterized by variable or varied kinds of prayer, different kinds of prayer. So if we see in Romans a spirit-directed prayer, and then we see in 1 Thessalonians a continual prayer, now in 1 Timothy you see various kinds of prayer. Um, It's important when praying to pray in various different directions for various different needs and various different praises and various different thanksgivings. As Dave talked about his thanksgiving list in this season, I just want to ask you, what does your prayer list look like? I know that there are many of you here in this room that practice a, uh, a strong commitment to prayer, whether in the shower or whether you're working out or maybe when you're driving to work. Um, what does that prayer list look like? Because I, I can tell you, I think if we stop and pause long enough with a strong desire to be in the presence of the living God in prayer, um, I think what we can do is we can take longer lists to Him. So varied prayers. Spirit directed in Romans, continual in First Thessalonians, and varied in First Timothy. Finally, the last one, Matthew 7. There's a lot of others. These are just some of the highlight ones. Matthew 7, here's Jesus' own words. And Matthew is back to the left for those of you that are in a real physical Bible in front of you. Matthew chapter 7. And just so you know, as I give you instructions on how to turn to the different books of the Bible, I'm not doing that in such a way that I would be condescending in any way. I'm doing that because I know that as a church plant, we attract people who are new to the faith often. And part of the very simple pieces of discipleship is helping people know where to turn in the Bible. Um, So if you're here with us and you've been walking with Jesus for longer than 15 minutes and you're trying to figure out why does he keep doing this, that's the reason why, okay? Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 7 through 11, builds another category of prayer for us that we could answer the question. Listen to this. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So what's happening in this passage is Jesus is describing a kind of prayer that flows out of the kind of God that you pray to. So the kind of God that we pray to is like a father who gives good things to those who ask him. Now, some of you might intuitively go, and I've asked for some good things in my life, and God didn't give me those. What do I do now? For instance, I remember my mom died almost five years ago, and I remember sitting at her bedside and praying that God would heal her. He didn't heal her. Now, logic would tell us that at some point, everybody gets old and dies. And then when you're struggling with cancer, and it's stage four, and it's in your bones and your brain and all your other vital organs, that you're probably not going to come back from that, short of a miracle. There are other prayers, too, that God may not have answered for you yet. I know some of you in this room that have lost siblings. Some of you in this room that have lost children. Some of you that have yet to have children. Some of you that have cars at home that aren't running very well. Some of you that are still living the single life and can't figure out why. You're living in a season where you're like, 
does God answer prayer, and why has he not answered my prayer? Is my father actually good? That would take a long time for me to nuance out all the answers to that without just giving you a pat answer that just trust God because he is good. My hope and my prayer in this passage is that what you would see is a persistent kind of prayer. A kind of prayer that persists and keeps after it. That nags after God for the good things that you desire. My big prayer in the midst of that too is that God would reveal more of himself to you as a good father who, if chooses to withhold some good things from you, isn't going to give you a bad thing in its place. And even if there are bad things in your life that he hasn't removed yet, he's left those there for some purposes that may be way beyond yours and mine's understanding. Why? Because you and I aren't God and we don't understand. I don't understand why my mom died that day. I really don't. There's a lot of things I don't understand. I'd like to understand more. I'd like to tell you I have all the answers. Why would I like to tell you all that? Because I'd like to be God deep down inside. I could do it better than he does. I'm not saying that as a truth statement, just so you know. I'm saying that because that's one of my struggles. (laughs) Your struggle, too, at the end of the day. And here's what prayer prayer does. Um, Prayer removes us from the throne of our own making and puts us on our knees in dependence upon the Father who made us. So four categories of prayer there. Um, In answer to that question, the first question I asked, what does your prayer life look like? Romans 8, is it spirit-directed? 1 Thessalonians 5, is it continual? 1 Timothy, is it varied? Matthew 7, is it persistent? There's some categories to just look at your prayer life and think about it. I've already said a lot, probably more than enough to send you guys out of here and encourage you with and give you instructions with. But I also want to come back to Ephesians, refocus us on the armor of God and this call to take a stand in prayer as the final piece of the armor. And in fact, some Preachers and some scholars and commentators would say, hey, prayer is the most important piece because that's how you put the armor on. And I think that may be true. It's not going to be the point that I'm trying to make today, but I think that's probably true. I want to make three points, and I want to uh, organize those three points. Like every good preacher has to have three points because it's the only way that Jesus preached, obviously. The nice thing about not having a manuscript is my snark comes out a little bit more than normal. (laughs) Attitude, posture, and place. Write those three things down. Attitude, posture, and place. We talked a lot last week about attitude. Attitude, posture, and place. I'm going to give you three quick statements that I hope will stick through you. Then I'm going to try to preach through them, land us somewhere right around the cross in the empty tomb and... uh, Three statements. Number one, the attitude of a Christian warrior is surrender. Statement number one. The attitude of a Christian warrior is surrender. Are you surrendered this morning? Statement number two, the posture of a Christian warrior is kneeled. The posture of a Christian warrior is kneeled. So you have... Attitude, you have posture. Finally, you have place. 
the place of a Christian warrior is under the bloody cross in the doorway of the empty tomb. If you've been listening to this series, you've heard me use that statement over and over again, I hope. And the reason is because I think that that statement lands, well, it lands any passage, doesn't it? But in this case, I think it's really unique in that it really fits so well. So the place of a Christian warrior is under the bloody cross in the doorway of the empty tomb. So I'm going to come back to statement one. Right? I'm going to start there, work my way through him. So telling you where we're going, now I'm going to take you there, summarize at the end. Good? Thank you. Number one, the attitude of a Christian warrior is surrender. Uh, look at Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians, which is back over to the right again if you're still in Matthew. Go back over to Ephesians 6, uh, verse 18. Right? Uh, look what Paul says. Um, he's already talked about all the other pieces of armor, and he's landing on prayer. And he says what in verse 18? Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is an attitude thing here, right? And that this picture is a picture of surrender. It's a continual surrender, not a one-time surrender like our American church seems to so often preach, that you should come to Jesus one time, pray your sinner's prayer, get saved, and now the gospel is for unbelievers and no longer for believers. The reality is that that's a false message, and we continually need Jesus, which means we continually need the gospel. This is why Paul says this is the thing that is of first importance, Right? So I think if you're thinking about a gospel-centered prayer life that isn't about what I want and only coming to God like a vending machine, then I think what you'll do is you'll come to God continually praying at all times in an attitude of prayer and surrender because you're surrendered to the king who died for you. That's the gospel permeating our prayer life rather than the American message of health, wealth, prosperity, and get all your dreams come true. So what I'm doing is trying to combat a false gospel message with what I believe is the biblical gospel message, right? Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. The attitude of a Christian warrior is surrender, not entitlement. It's not that I come to God because I want to pray that He gives me all the good things that I want and all I've done is just made my prayer life look and smell better because I'm no longer asking for bad things. That's not the kind of prayer life that we see in the Scripture. The kind of prayer life that we see in the Scripture here is one of surrender. It's surrendered and trusting in a sovereign God who knows all things, sees all things. If I trust in that kind of a God who sent His Son to the cross and left the tomb empty, if I trust in that kind of a sovereign King, then I can remove myself from the throne that I've created and I can surrender, keeping alert with all perseverance, right? That's where we're going to head next. Number two, the posture of a Christian warrior is kneeled. So if you're surrendered first, kind of makes sense that you would be kneeled next. You removed yourself from that throne. You're now kneeled in front of Christ. What does he say in verse 18? The rest of verse 18 Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, 
Keep alert. Don't fall asleep. Pay attention. Stay in this thing. Don't check out. Keep alert. With all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now the two words, alert and perseverance, are really important. Now growing up, um, my family wasn't a part of a church. Uh, but I did go to church sometimes on Wednesdays. I went to this little Assemblies of God, so not a little Assemblies of God church, larger Assemblies of God church um, in, uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. And, and there's this program that they had in, um, at the Assemblies of God called Royal Rangers. Now, Royal Rangers is kind of like uh, Boy Scouts um, meets Jesus. Okay. And uh, one of the uh, things that you had to do as a young man in Royal Rangers, you had to memorize, uh, I, think it was the, I think it was called the Royal Ranger motto. But somebody would always yell out, what is the Royal Ranger motto? And somebody would yell, ready. I'm going to try it with you guys because this will just wake everybody up that's sleeping right now. It'll be a really fun prank. <laughs> so, so if you just look around the roof, you find somebody asleep in this. So, to kinda, like, so I'm going to ask you, what is the Royal Ranger model? And I want you guys to yell ready at the top of your lungs. Okay, are you ready? <laughs> okay, so what is the Royal Ranger motto? Ready. Okay, ready for what? Uh. Uh. <laughs> Good. Okay, now, now, the, now the interesting thing is that, that the, the motto would, would go on. So the, the leader would, would say, what is the Royal Ranger motto? And, and every, every boy in the room would yell at the top of his lungs, ready. And then the, and then the leader would say, ready for what? And all the kids in the room would say, ready for anything. Ready to work, play, serve, worship, live, and obey God's word. And we would do that every time we met. We would recite that model together, right? Kind of like reciting the uh, Pledge of Allegiance every day uh, in school. We would recite this thing every time. Let me say it again. Ready. Ready for anything. Ready to work play, serve, worship, live, and obey God's word. Strategy um, in all of this was to teach young boys to be men. And part of being men was to be ready, or you could say to be alert. Do you know the epidemic that we have going on in America today um, with little boys who act like men? Or you could say, grown men who act like little boys, right? How have I said it before? Um, little boys with facial hair? Like, our men in America spend more time behind their video games than they do loving their wives. Our guys in America spend more time looking at pornography than they do loving their wives. Our guys in America spend more time working than loving their kids. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. If you go back to the Garden of Eden and you look at where Adam was, where was Adam? Passively standing there when Satan was tempting Eve. And from that point on, something called sin infected us. And I don't say those things just to beat up on us guys, just simply saying that what do you think it would look like if men had a prayer life that was alert and ready for anything, ready to work hard, ready to play, ready to serve, ready to worship God with your life, ready to live, ready to obey God's word? What would it look like for our women? 
to walk this way in prayer life. To have a prayer life that is alert and perseveres. Doesn't just give up because you didn't get what you want, but continues in prayer because what you want now is becoming the presence of God. Track that. Just like think about that. What if all of your wants were transformed away from the things that you could get from God into just wanting God, just wanting to commune with Him? How alert would you be? How alert would you be? How much would you persevere in making supplication for all the saints? So number one, the attitude of a Christian warrior is surrender. Number two, the posture of a Christian warrior is kneeled. And number three, the place of a Christian warrior is under the bloody cross in the doorway of the empty tomb. Verses 19 through 20, let me read them. Paul says, and also for me, praying also for me, the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I just want to point out the context of what Paul is saying is pretty much beyond all of us because none of us understands what it means to be in chains for preaching the gospel. We don't get the context because... We don't live where Paul lived. We don't live in the time that Paul lived. We are Americans. Not one of us in this room has experienced this. You, you might have experienced a little bit of persecution where somebody got angry at you because you shared a passage on Facebook. Or, or you might have uh, experienced a little bit of persecution because somebody talked trash about you because you're a Christian. Okay, That, that, that is persecution, but I just want to say it's nowhere close to what Paul is experiencing here. Paul is chained in the ground for preaching the gospel, and he's chained to a Roman guard. That Roman guard is his living object lesson for what he's talking about. As he's working through the pieces of armor, he's not thinking about taking a stand politically, okay? He's not thinking about taking a stand socially. That's not what he's thinking about. He's thinking about taking a stand with spiritual armor on, fighting a spiritual battle that's not against flesh and blood. Correct? Agreed? And he's looking at this soldier right next to him that he is chained to. He's using him as an object lesson as he thinks his way through it. So think about the context. When he finishes this up and he says, I am an ambassador in chains. He's saying, I'm in chains. Pray for me that I don't stop preaching. Pray for me that my life continues to preach the gospel. He's in chains. And he's that's what he's asking for. What circumstance are you in your life at right now that has stopped your life from preaching the gospel? Is it a pain? Is it a hurt? Is it something you didn't get or that you don't have yet? Would you allow that to stop you from preaching the gospel? Or would you allow that to push you to ask people to pray for you that you would preach the gospel? Where are you at right now? What does your prayer life look like? Because whatever chains it is that are in your life that have been placed there, I believe, by the hand of a sovereign God who holds on to our enemy, the devil, because the devil doesn't do anything that God doesn't first allow him to do. So whatever, whatever harm or hurt or things being withheld that have been brought into your life and placed there by the hand of a God who loves you, and he's trying to shape your heart and your desires to desire more of what? More of him. More of him. Some of the most beautiful worship songs 
that I think have ever been written have been written by people who have faced extreme suffering. Extreme suffering. Families dying, and out of that comes a song. If I remember right, it is well with my soul. Like, just research the story behind that. I think there's many others. Because in those moments, what God does, if your heart is open, if you're not hardened against Him, transforms your heart. He changes your heart into a new creation, right? The place of a Christian warrior is under the bloody cross in the doorway of an empty tomb. What Paul is praying for is that the mystery of the gospel would be proclaimed through him as he is an ambassador. Someone who not only speaks the gospel, but lives the gospel. Like an ambassador from another nation coming here and representing. One of the things I tell my kids often when I drop them off at school is, hey, when you're going to school today, you need to understand that you represent the Marino family, but you represent something even bigger than that. You represent the kingdom of God. You represent the cross of Jesus Christ. That's an appropriate weight and guilt for us to feel. That's a heavy and appropriate responsibility for us to feel. I can can take a moment here with you and just, if I could make a list for you of people's names that I have walked with over the years that have tapped out, walked out, shipwrecked their faith and shipwrecked their calling because of some desire that they had when at one time they were walking in public ministry, I think it would shock you. The amount of pain that I personally have experienced, and I know Paul, we could turn to what he says to Timothy, uh, which we're going to do because that's the next series we're going into. Dude makes a list of people's names. If I say that, I say that because there should be a heavy warning for us in this as well, right? To be an ambassador for Jesus Christ in our prayer life, and in the way that we live our lives, that's an important thing. It affects everything all the way from your Facebook posts down to your text messages, down to how long you spend with another single person in your home, right? I mean, I know many of you, we've had these conversations. Ethics and morals matter. And communion with God is all that will hold that together as you try to walk this out. Because your battle is not against flesh and blood. Your battle is against a very spiritual enemy who wants to take you out at the knees. And not just take you out at the knees, but he wants to kill your head and he wants to kill your heart. So it's serious, right? How will you persevere in that? Where will you get the strength to walk like Jesus in the midst of all that I've just said? The only place is under the shadow of a bloody cross and in the doorway of the empty tomb. The message of the cross and the empty tomb is not a beginner message for beginning Christians. The message of the cross and the empty tomb is the power by which you and I walk out salvation. So it's the place where you and I ought to be kneeled and praying. As I've said already, we often pray only for the things that we want. What Paul gives us here in Ephesians is not only the teaching, but also a model and example of a man um, whose wants were transformed and put in line with his needs. Because what Paul needed the most, if you remember his story, 
He's an enemy of God, an enemy of the church. What Paul needed most was an encounter that rocked his world flat. So the things that he wanted became the things that he needed. And what he needed most and what you and I need the most is the presence of the living God in our lives. And the place that you do that, the place that you get that is in communion with your Father who loves you. And the way that you commune with your Father who loves you is through prayer. So the gospel realigns our wants and our needs. The gospel realigns our attitude, our posture, and our place of prayer. So, I have one thing to say. Take a stand in prayer. I don't know, I don't know what your prayer life looked like when you walked in here. I don't know how the Holy Spirit has challenged you or encouraged you in the midst of this sermon. But I do know this. I know the God who sent his son to a cross to die for his enemies so that his enemies could become family. And I know that God who overcame Satan, sin, and the grave, and I have watched him over and over and over again transform people's lives into people that I never thought and they never thought they could be. I've watched people overcome and walk through great hardship and great difficulty while standing firm in this present darkness. So stand firm, friends. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you so much uh, for the evidence of your Spirit's presence uh, today. Help us to depend upon you more and more and more. Help us to find our strength in your presence again, underneath the shadow of the bloody cross in the doorway of an empty tomb where you overcame the only enemies that really mattered, Satan, sin, and the grave. Help us to walk in the transformed power, presence of the living Jesus Christ who is our Savior. God, I pray that. Pray, Father, you would use this message to strengthen, encourage, challenge, grow, save. Trust you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.